this is Coffee Break with New York Wiki. I'm your host, Julie hockheiser Ilkovich, and we're here today talking to Julie Pinnell. Welcome, Julie. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I am the biggest fan of your <laughs> podcast subscriber since day one. Thank you. Thank you so much. We always welcome a fan. Yes. Thank you. Um, tell us just what you do for a living. What's your job to get started? Uh, I'm a freelance writer. So I write lifestyle um, articles for online sites such as Today.com, Teen Vogue, The Nest, and other publications. And I wrote my first novel this these past over the past two years. It's called The Young Wives Club, and it's coming out on Valentine's Day. How romantic! It's so romantic. <laughs> Congratulations! Thank you. That's so exciting. Thank you. I'm very excited to talk about the book on this podcast. But first, we we need to talk about coffee, obviously. obviously. Our show is called Coffee Break with New York Wiki. We always want to talk to our guests about their favorite coffee drinks. We are drinking coffee today right here as we're recording it. So what's your coffee drink of choice? So today it is cold outside and I have a latte. Um, but usually in the mornings, I'll make an iced coffee with my Keurig. Fun fact about me, I didn't start drinking coffee until I'm, I was in my late 20s when I moved into an apartment building with a duck and Donuts underneath. <laughs> I love that. And then I didn't start drinking hot coffee until I moved to Oxford, England for a year when I was 29. And because they all looked at me like I was crazy whenever <laughs> I ordered an iced coffee. So I started drinking hot liquids and... Here I am today drinking a latte. <laughs> you were bullied into it I by the Europeans. Into it. <laughs> it's so like that is a good coffee story. Adult coffee drinker <laughs> starting to drink it when you're adult. Do you feel like you missed out on years? Yes, of coffee I drinking. I do, but I'm I'm also excited that I got to start kind of later because I I can enjoy it and. You know, you appreciate it. I appreciate it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I definitely appreciate it. I love that story <laughs> and I'm glad that you're a coffee drinker now and that you could bring, bring the coffee tail to our show. Yeah. So you're a freelance writer, um, which is awesome. And we love to hear about different women's careers and how they got there. And it takes a lot to make the jump to be a freelance writer. So what I'd love to talk about now is the steps that it took you to get where you are. So kind of jumping through your college major to your internships, to your jobs and how you took the leap to be a freelance writer. So my career actually started when I was 14 years old. My mom and I went to the local newspaper to put an ad in for a garage sale that we were having. And I was the nerdiest, shyest girl in the whole world. And I don't know what came over me, but I asked the front desk if they had any opportunities for teen writers. And minutes later, I walked out with a summer internship. At 14. So, 14 years old. Um, so my mom had to drop me off every day. <laughs> Maybe it's uh, illegal, but yes, we had less requirements around internships back then, I think. But okay. And then when I, and then like, I think it was like my second week there. I don't know what came over me again, but I decided that I was going to write a team column for them. And I pitched it to them and they said yes, and I ended up writing a weekly column for them for seven years. They basically had to, like, pry it out of my hands. Um, They're like, you're 30. <laughs> Stop writing. So what was it so, called? What did you write about? It was called Teen Scene. Amazing. And I just wrote, it was, you know, just, like, teen thoughts. Like, I would 
you know, like trendy pets that are cool and, um, you know, concerts that were happening and all of that. So that was basically, I, I owe everything to that experience, not only because of writing every week that got me into the, you know, the groove of how to write, but also um, that is where I met my mentor. I, the Miss Teen USA pageant was happening in my hometown. And Which is where? Shreveport, Louisiana. Shreveport. And, sorry, going back, I was a huge fan of Cosmo Girl magazine. I remember basically, like, crying the first issue and reading Atusa Rubenstein, who's the founding editor of the magazine. Her editor's letter just really spoke to me. So I'm at the Miss Teen USA pageant, sitting in the stands, and I look at the Jumbotron, and there's Atusa Rubenstein on the Jumbotron, and I look at my friend... And who's next to me? And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's a Tusa. Literally, Julie, my whole body, like, <laughs> I had this, like, experience, like, this magical experience. And I knew right then, so weird, that my life was going to change. I love that. <laughs> we, you know, we talk about, like, the concept of mentorship a lot on the show, but it's like, that's, be- it's like magical. Beyond it's mentorship, magical. it's like the magic moment of when you knew someone would be your mentor and they're going to change your life. So I was like, I have to meet her. So my friend and I ran downstairs after the show, and she basically got whisked away by security, probably because they're like, oh, these like crazy teenage girls want to meet She's her. a judge. She's there just she like just to judge. judge. Yeah. So she she was leaving. Um, so I didn't get to meet her. So I used my column in the newspaper to write about that missed opportunity and how much she meant to me as a teenager. And so I mailed it to her with a handwritten note saying, just thought you might like to see this. This is, a, this is amazing. I mean, the fact that you're thinking of this, you're even thinking of this. Well, Southern girls always know about handwritten notes. That's <laughs> the number one advice that I have. Handwritten notes go far. So, she, like, she actually wrote me back the sweetest note ever. Handwritten. Handwritten. And said, I'd love to be your mentor. So we kind of created like a pen pal thing where I would email her, I would write her handwritten letters, I would ask her advice about being a magazine editor, which was my ultimate dream job. And How old were you at this time? I was probably 16 or so. I Don't quote me on that. <laughs> but she, the fact that she took the time, yes, and I amazing. think a lot of that speaks to like for those of you who don't know about Atusa's career, like she started young. She was mm-hmm. very young. Her milestones all were incredibly young, young editor in chief. Like, and so, you know, she probably really appreciated how important it was to get this help when you're young. When, I mean, cause this is like, she went way above and beyond. And you don't hear many stories about it where it's like, you send a letter and they're like, great, let's be pen pals. Usually it's like, okay, maybe I'll get a thank you. <laughs> but I think it also speaks to the fact that you should do that. Yeah. Like if I, If I receive a note from somebody saying, I really admire your career, and let me ask you, just this one piece of advice, I'm definitely going to write them back. But I think it speaks to a lot of that you should reach out to someone that you admire, feel free to, because they're going to come back and they're going to hopefully say something. So this whole experience with the Tusa, I think is so interesting because it's kind of it's just reflective of the advice of just like, go 
for it. I know it sounds so obvious, but it's like, this is a specific situation where it's like, you should reach out to someone and write them a letter. But also I think it's very good universal advice in terms of there's a job you're not quite sure you're qualified for. Like, go for it. Like there's when there's nothing to lose, go for it. Right. And you're a 16 year old girl writing to like a major editor in chief, you know, a pretty famous editor in chief. So we just went for it and that's kind of my life motto. Just do it. Just do like, it. especially in the career, just do it. Everyone, you know, always asks me like, how did you write a book? And I'm like, just do it. Right. Just, just sit down and write it. But that also, you know, goes with finding a mentor. Mm-hmm. You admire somebody, just do it. Just reach out to them. It's right. not, they're not going to like come out over email and like hurt you. Right. You know, you're flattering them. So they're, it's going to be positive, you know? what's the worst that could happen? They don't write you back. Well, that's oh what gosh. I was going to say. Like, the, like it's right. always what's the worst that could happen. Right. And almost always the worst is just like someone says no, or you don't get the job, right. but like you didn't have her as your mentor before you asked and you don't have that job before you apply for it. So it's really, it's such an inspiring tale. No, it's my favorite story about my career. It's so good. And so you developed this pen pal relationship. You were writing to each other. And then when I became a freshman in college, I applied for an internship at her magazine at Cosmo Girl and got that and worked in the entertainment department for the summer. So I moved up to New York. Um, And then the next year, she moved over to Seventeen Magazine, and I kind of followed her. I was like, please give me another internship. (laughs) Take me Um, with you. So I moved over to Seventeen and did the features internship over there. And then for my third summer in college, I did the ASME internship. And I don't know if a lot of people listening to this know about it, but huge shout out to them. Um, The American Society of Magazine Editors has a summer internship program that everyone, if you're in college, uh, you should totally look into applying. It was such an amazing internship. So I worked at Reader's Digest for that summer. Um, and it was always really fun to come to New York from Louisiana and come to the big city. Um, and then ultimately, I just moved to New York. Um, like, I think it was two weeks after college graduation because I knew that's where I wanted to be. And so you moved, but you didn't have the opportunity lined up yet? No. Or you did? Okay, yeah. you just did it. You just went for just, it. Just, just did it. <laughs> and then I freelanced in the office at 17 on a project for a couple of months. And a job opened up. It was a special projects assistant. So it was kind of a brand new job. And I I was the person who launched the magazine's MySpace page. <laughs> uh, that dates me. Just a little bit. Just a little bit you're dating yourself. Um, but early social media adapter is very yes. important. Um, so I also did the Facebook and the Twitter had no idea what I was doing. I don't think anybody at that time knew what we were doing, but we kind of just like did it. Um, and then, so whenever there was a digital job that opened up, I had already taught myself HTML because of the MySpace. So I kind of just moved into that role, which by the way, I worked with the host, Julie Hakazer-Ilkovich. She was my boss. I love it. 
I, you know, it's a lot of people who we talked to on the show, like I've worked with them or I know them through New York Women in Communications. I mean, I think it just speaks to like the network here in New York and the organization in general. Like, it's not that I've been everywhere. It's just that, that, you know, I really focus on networking and keeping my network. And so when it was time to call in my favors, (laughs) this podcast, you're hearing all my favors. (laughs) I'm talking to everyone. Um, But yes, Julie and I worked together and it was, it was a magical time in my career. I really wish that this was like a live podcast where we could take callers (laughs) and people could ask me what kind of boss you were, but you were, she was amazing. Thank you. It was so sweet. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) There was, I, there was a story, um, on the Liz Pearl episode of this podcast, which is episode seven, a little bonus episode where Liz also talks about my management and how I would (laughs) keep it cool in front of everyone. But then like, be like so that everyone kind of no one was stressing and complaining but then on my own I would like complain which is so my management style so you guys are learning a lot about me that's a that's a good management style yes I don't like the the culture of complaining but everyone has to complain to someone so just Just get it out there yes I like to do it not to the team that I'm trying to inspire (laughs) but then just like late at night to whoever and then ultimately that networking with Julie with you Um, led to my other job at Alloy Entertainment, where I was a digital editor and worked on some pretty cool projects. So they're the creators of Gossip Girl, Pretty Little Liars, Vampire Diaries. So I worked on the websites for those, and it was fun. Awesome. (laughs) And then how did you make the jump from there? Because that was the last job. You had you sat in a full-time job, right? How did you make the jump from there to working for yourself? So I've always, in the back of my mind, wanted to work for myself. So there were two ways that my career could have gone. And one could have been editor-in-chief of a magazine. I've always wanted to do that since I was a little girl. And then another was freelance and just doing my own thing and writing. Writing is my passion. That is what I like to do. So I had this opportunity. At the time, I was developing this idea for a book, a novel, and which was ultimately The Young Wives Club. And my husband, he was my fiancé at the time, came up to me with this opportunity that he had received at work to go do a year in Oxford, England for research. And I really think that he did not think that I was going to go for it. I think he was just kind of bringing it up like, oh, isn't this cool that I had this opportunity? And I looked at him and I was like, you have to take it and I'm going to go with you. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to write, I'm going to do this because this is the kick. Right. That you I needed, needed the opportunity. <laughs> I needed, I needed that. So uh, I did it and it was super, super scary for the first couple of months, not only like just living in a new country, um, but also trying to like figure out how to get work. But um, luckily with my network of all of the people that I've worked with in the past, I was able to get some steady clients and also write the book at the same time. So it, it worked out. It's amazing. That's so great. And, and do you find as being a freelance writer, like how do you treat it? Do you feel like you're a small business owner? I mean, this is kind of a conversation that's becoming more and more prominent about like freelancing. Cause there was a time when there were more writing opportunities where it was, it didn't have to be as much as like 
being a small business owner and pitching and having a business plan because there were more opportunities and now that's more competitive. Like, do you treat it? Do you feel like you're a small business owner, but, or does it not quite feel that like formal? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, sometimes I'm sitting there in like pajamas, so right. it doesn't really <laughs> feel like, like I'm a formal business. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are definitely things that you have to do. You know, you have to make sure that you invoice on time and you have to make sure that you get the money from the people. You have to make your clients happy, turn in great things all the time, communicate all the time. So, you know, it, it does definitely depend on you. You are the owner of right. the business. Um, so yeah, in a sense, yeah, it does feel like a business. Cause I think sometimes, yeah, like freelancers or people who work for themselves and like media don't necessarily consider it like small business, but there's so many details yeah. to figure out. And, you know, you might not be like creating an LLC, but you essentially have to do everything right. that a small business does. Also just branding yourself. Right. Like I have to be on Twitter. I have to be on Instagram just because, you know, so like that's work. stuff that you have to do as a brand. Right. But it's also stuff that you have to do if you are a freelancer. Right. You know, it's your business. It's your business. Part of your business. Very exciting that you have a book coming out. Can't wait to read it. February 14th is when it's coming out and you can pre-order it. Can you tell us what the book is about? And also what was the route? What was kind of the track to getting a book deal? Yes. So the book is like, it speaks for itself with the title, the young wives club. So it is about young wives, a club of young wives. wives. Okay. Not maybe not technically a club, but Um, so it revolves around four best friends, um, in small town, Louisiana, who basically or practically are married out of high school. So really young brides. So the book is mainly about their friendship and how they lean on each other through the trials and tribulations of their relationships. Um, I really wanted to write a book about strong Southern girls, and I felt like that was a good way to explore that. Um, I know some girls who got married really young. There's this whole idea that you're not really an adult until you get married. But when you're really young, you're too young to get married. So I just wanted to play with that a little bit. I thought it would be good a good story. Is the book based on real experience? I mean, not your experience because you were not that young of a wife, although a fairly young wife, but is it, is it kind of that idea of like an aggregation of stories or is it really just the general concept of young marriage in the South and it's not real necessarily true stories that you've heard? I was inspired by some girls that I knew, but none of them are based. None of the characters are based on anybody that I know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's just, just kind of like imagination, but based on, you know, there's like real Louisiana culture ingrained in there. And the theme of friendship was really inspired by the group of girls that I have right now. Um, so yeah, so it's kind of loosely based, loosely based. on real life. <laughs> Is it, and it takes place in Shreveport or a different small no, town? No, it actually takes place in a made-up town okay. called Toulouse, Louisiana. Who made up that name? Me. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually in France when we, um, when I was coming up with the book and saw a sign for Toulouse. For Toulouse. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness, that's it. A little European flair right in there. <laughs> what was the process 
to getting a book deal, getting the book written. I mean, so many people dream of writing a book. I think it feels very overwhelming. I know we've talked about just doing things, but what, you know, what was your process from kind of start to finish? So, yeah, I mean, it is all about just sitting down and writing it. Um, I plotted it out. Um, so like, I think that's the biggest takeaway that I learned. So if anybody ever wants to write a book, I've tried to write books before in the past and I always fail because I never plot. And so I think just taking it so that you know what chapters need, like what needs to happen in each chapter really helped me focus, um, and sit down. So that really helped. Um, it took me about two years to complete. So that was with rounds of editing, um, and going back and forth with, you know, just like making, polishing it. Um, it was such an amazing experience though. And it was fun. It was so fun. I, I, maybe this is just a thing of like being a writer and like you're alone all the time, but like, I kind of felt like these girls were becoming my friends. (laughs) Like I really truly like felt for them. I would cry sometimes when I, when something you know, there's a part that's a little sad in the book and like, I still feel emotions every single time that I read it, even though I know what's going to happen. Right. But I feel for this girl. Yeah. That's so nice. That's so Maybe nice. it's a little crazy. I don't <laughs> no. know. <laughs> but it's just like you really be- like believe in the story yeah. to me, and that's important. And you spend a lot of time with it. It's like A lot of time. Probably more time than with my own husband. Of course. <laughs> of course. I mean, that's what we talk about in the show a lot. It's like when you're spending more time at work than with your own family, making right. sure it's like worth it to you. So it shows it's really worth it to you if you feel very emotionally attached. Right. It's great. That's, that's how you know you have a good project is when you can't wait to work on it. Like I would wake up in the morning, like jump out of bed and get to writing. That's so great. That's very lucky. We talked a bunch about your career trajectory and your experience, which is like, you've a lot of great corporate experience and then also freelance experience as well. One question I want to talk about today is about getting a promotion or starting a new job you know, what if you get that promotion or you start that new job that you've been so desperately wanting to start? And then when you take it, you feel overwhelmed or you feel not ready. What, you know, what is some advice for handling that situation? This is a great question. This actually happened to me. I took a job at a PR agency. So the word overwhelmed is an understatement for me. I was learning literally an entire new career. Um, I don't have any regrets whatsoever about that year, but it was so like, it was so hard for me. I grew stronger, but I learned a lot in the way. And so one thing, before we get into the advice that I think is so interesting, it's like, it's interesting that you, they hired you, right? Because probably when you're interviewing, they, it felt like you had the relevant experience because you had a ton of great media experience. But then when you went to do the job, it was like, they wanted you to do something that you didn't know about. Right. It just wasn't a fit for me. Yeah. I I learned that probably the first week. Okay. Maybe the first day. I don't know. It wasn't a fit for me. Because Um, the work was just not what you wanted to be doing. It just wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't know what I was doing and I wasn't writing and I wasn't doing my passion. And I think that's a good piece of advice first 
is that you know what you're passionate about. And so it's up to you to make sure that you're doing what you're passionate about because it's not going to feel like a job if you're passionate about something. So my passion has always been writing. So it was definitely my own fault for thinking that, you know, a job that didn't involve writing would be good for me. It's interesting because, you know, going to PR for, let's say, from magazines doesn't mean no writing. So would it be like you would automatically assume going there that you'd have to give up your passion. And I think that's something right. also for people to consider. Like if your passion is something, just making sure the new job has that element. So it doesn't mean like you always would have to go to writing jobs. Probably if you like had cool writing opportunities when you were there, in addition to some of this other stuff, you would have been okay with it. Right. Well, I was writing, but it wasn't what I was wanting to write about. Right. And you weren't writing probably like editorial or right, right. So my advice for something like this is first, take a deep breath. (laughs) Great advice. The best advice for anything, right? And know that it's going to be okay, no matter what. Second is to find somebody at the job that can kind of guide you in what you're doing, give you advice. Um, not only about like the, the, the place, the place that you're working, but also like what you're actually doing. If you're working with clients, things like that. I had a really great person over there that kind of guided me, kind of held my hand through the hard times. And a, and a mentor, like yeah. mentorship again, even though it might be like non-traditional mentorship, it could just be your coworker, not necessarily look right. for, but they helped you out. They mentored you. Exactly. The third thing is to own it. Just own the job. Like, I think I was trying so hard to do what they wanted me to do that I didn't, I wasn't using my talent mm-hmm. to work at it. So, um, I think own the job and put your own talents into it. And I think you'll start feeling a little bit more comfortable. And finally, make sure that you learn from it because no matter what, you, you will come out so much stronger and you will learn. And I feel like I have no regrets about that year, even though it wasn't the greatest fit for me, but I definitely came out stronger and I feel like I learned so much from it. In those types of situations, so in this particular situation, you're like, knew you didn't want to do this. This is not your career move. Like you weren't going to change to PR. You had tried it. Great. What do you think about the concept of like fake it till you make it? Because (laughs) I love fake it till you make it. Like, when I started working magazines, I had never used a Mac computer, really. <laughs> like, I had a, one class in college we used Macs, and it was just, like, everything was PC, PC. Well, at, at a magazine, the magazine programs, to like, actually make a magazine, they only work on a Mac. So you, everyone has to work on a Mac computer. And for the first month, I, just never, I never asked. I just... <laughs> figured it out. I worked extra hours to be like, how do I save an image? I mean, which is so easy and silly, but I think that's also like, it's, it's hard to just be like, I'm going to pretend like I know what I'm doing. But I think once you start faking it, like you just, you really become, you know what you're doing. Right. No, and going back to what you said about figuring it out, that was one of, that sticks with me as one of my career, like advice moments was when I was an intern at 17, I was working on something and I went to like the executive editor and was like, what do I, how do I do this? And just like not thinking like, you know, what to do, even though I definitely could have figured it out. And I remember she said, figure it out. And at that moment it clicked. And I was like, oh, right. Like 
I can't ask questions anymore. Like I just need to figure it out. So I always, I go back to that every single time. I mean, now I obviously have to figure it out on my own all the time because I don't have a boss, right. but you know, even when I was, you know, the manager of interns at the magazines, a lot of times they would come up to me and say, how do I do this? What, what do you want me to do? And I would be like, figure it out. Mm-hmm. Like you, and I think that that's the best it's not me being lazy as a manager. It's actually... It helps them. Yeah. It helps you. And that's the thing. Like, I hate to ever be like, don't ask questions because you should ask questions. But like, first you should spend time figuring it out. I always... my I don't know if this is too mean. My thing I always say, not to people, but like about this concept is use your brain. Like you mm-hmm. have to have tested your brain to figure it out. Also figure it out. Mm-hmm. And then if you really can't figure it out, you can go ask the questions. But... Uh, most people's first instincts and also especially if you're like young and coming from school where you're supposed to ask a lot of questions that's a very hard transition right. like we're going from I'm supposed to ask questions about everything I need to get all the details beforehand to ask as few questions as possible mm-hmm. but I think it's the best best lesson for like an entry person Definitely. to learn ever it is incredible career advice like don't let your first instinct be to like come with a list of questions just you know do um you know, you, I'm sure you've heard this of the career advice of just do it and like ask for forgiveness later, <laughs> which you don't want to do something that's going to get you fired, but there's very few things you can do that would get you in trouble that someone would rather you just not have bothered them about. Right. And I think that's the thing. Like right. what, and especially in this era of like communication and email, like I'll get so many emails with all these questions and it's like, oh, now this is becoming my project. Because I gave this project to someone, but they're asking questions and I get why they're asking them. They're not dumb questions, but I would be fine if they made this decision. Like I don't need to make every decision along the way. Yeah, that's, yeah, definitely. Totally agree. The last few years have kind of been the year of yes. Like Shonda Rhimes' book, right? That's the year of yes. Um, People are saying yes to everything. You want to say yes. You obviously want to be positive, keep positivity, especially in your career advice. But also saying no is important and a little bit, you know, speaks to this concept of being overwhelmed at work. That's a huge part of this. Like just keep taking things on. We need to say no. We need to know when to say no. We need to know how to set boundaries. I think that's one of the hardest things you can learn. What's the best way that you think, you know, you can say no and set boundaries in your workplace, especially with your manager, but not lose points, not get an attitude for someone who always says no to things. So as a freelancer, I balance this question all the time. So I'm juggling multiple clients and multiple projects and they don't understand, you know, they don't know what I have on my plate. So I've had to learn how to say it, how to say no. Um, So I think the biggest advice is you know what your schedule is and you know what you can take on. If you take on too much, you're turning in, you know, really bad stuff to everybody and it's just not fair. So you want to make sure that you have this balance. So for me, that just is, I I have to say no. I have to say no sometimes Mm -hmm. because I know my bandwidth. Right. So when I'm telling a client that I can't do something, that might be offering them, you know, I have another freelancer, if you, you know, a freelancer friend, if you need another person to work on it. And then I think if someone is in a job with a boss, like at an office, I think the best advice is to take your to-do list and bring it to your boss and say, I really want to do this, but this is my list. Let's prioritize yeah, this you together. Yeah, prioritize it. 
I think that's great advice. I think it's good. I like the idea of like offering solutions. I think that's important. Like I think prioritization when you have like a manager is the best thing. Like you have a unique career where your bosses quote unquote, don't know what you're doing otherwise and like don't care. Right. So like one freelance assigner doesn't care that you have another assignment. They just want you to do it. It doesn't affect them. That doesn't affect their business. If you have a boss who's giving you a hundred assignments, like they know, even if they don't know it because they're not keeping track, like when you go to them and you say, here's all the things they're like, Oh yeah, that was too much. (laughs) But I like the idea of giving other options. Like, even in that scenario, you go in with a list and say, like, I can't do this this week, probably, but could this person do it? Or should we set a deadline? Like, if you can do deadline setting with that, like, when does this actually need to be done? I think is the other issue where everything always now is, like, ASAP, ASAP. Definitely. So when does it need to be done? And some of that stuff is, like, oh, that needs to be done in two months or next quarter or whatever. And so it kind of is a positive way of going about it not just like, I can't do this. It's like, we're going to do this. When does it, you know, when does it need to be done? Exactly. Put a deadline to it. And I do that with freelancing as well. Someone might send me an assignment and to me, I'll think it's, you know, it's a deadline that would be ASAP and that would need to be done today. And I'll say, oh, I'm really busy with something. Is it possible to get it to you on Monday? I'll work on it on the weekend. And they're like, oh yeah, that's totally fine. You know, I find that a lot. I get that a lot of, oh yeah, like definitely fine. So I think asking, like making sure a lot of times in freelancing, they don't give you deadlines or at least I don't get, you know, cause I write lifestyle stories. So I just assume that they're due immediately, now. <laughs> right. but it, you'd be surprised how often they're like, oh yeah, it's totally fine. Get it to us when you're ready. You work from home every day. Every single day, right? You're not going to a co-working space. You are freelancing at home. What does your day look like? What is your typical routine from working for working from home? Okay. So I wake up normal time as if I was at an office and same time every day. It's so weird. I don't wake up with an alarm, but I wake up at the same exact time. every day. What time? You're going to laugh. It's so late. 730. That's not late. That's good. <laughs> um, it's actually how weird is this? It's seven thirty-one always that I wake up. Amazing! Your body's just conditioned. Yeah, maybe my clock is just one minute off or something. <laughs> That's so crazy. Um, so I get up. I brew my coffee and my Keurig. I get into under a blanket, wrap myself up, still in my PJs, and sit on the couch and write my first article of the day. Then I do some yoga and I just started doing that in January, last January. Um, and it has literally changed my life. I feel like anybody who works from home needs to adopt some kind of like exercise routine like this. Um, not only does it make you feel healthier and just better, but it also like really helps with the creativity. Write this down. This is the YouTube video series that I've been working with, but it's called yoga with Adrienne and huge shout out to her. This girl changed my life. Amazing. And it's free. So I, um, I do the yoga and that's, and that's a trend we've seen on the show. 
a lot of people say that like exercise helps them so much with their career. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about in previous episodes, it's like really the concept of self care, um, which I think people talk about as like a big concept, but there's so many small things you can do to take care of yourself. Yoga in the morning every day is like such a free yoga on YouTube is such a manageable way to take care of yourself every single day. Yeah. So I do that and then I shower and get ready for the day. No morning shows. No. No morning news. No TV. I I have this rule of no TV. Um, just because I feel like if I turn it on, I'm going to get sucked into it. Spirals out of control and it's your whole day. Yeah. And then I start working in real clothes for the rest of the afternoon. I'm impressed you get dressed. I will say I work from home. Not every day I have an office to go into, but sometimes when I work from home, I'm just like, sit down in my PJs. Next thing I know at 6 p.m., I'm like, what did I do? Oh, no. I think a yeah. routine is yeah. really important. No, it is. I even, like, wear full makeup, even if Whoa. I'm not going to see anybody. You put on your makeup. I put on my makeup because I feel better. That's I just I feel impressive. more put together. And, like, I'm a, like, if I have to do a phone interview, like, I never want to do a phone interview in my pajamas. Um, not that they can see me, but I just feel like I'm more put together. That's very impressive. I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> what is your advice for someone who wants to work from home, who works at home, who works from home in terms of being successful? Like what are the three, four or five things that you really should make sure you're doing if you're working from home and want to have success? I think the first thing is just kind of setting your own schedule and making sure that you abide by that. Um, cause treat it like a job, obviously, right. like you can get distracted very easily. Um, and what about the concept of flexibility? Like for sure, creating your own schedule, but not necessarily having it be the same every day, like making right. sure you get the hours in, but the whole point is hopefully you can have a flexible schedule, right? right? That's exactly, that's, that's the one thing that I love about freelancing and working from home is the flexible schedule because my husband has really crazy work hours. So, you know, he works at a hospital, so he could be there on call for 24 hours. So I will probably work through that whole night if I don't have something to do. And then the next day when he's available, I'll take like the afternoon off and hang out with him, do kind of a summer Friday. Um, So I really love that just like being able to set my own hours. And I don't feel guilty when I work on Saturdays, you know, Um, whereas if it was just a regular job and I would be like, I'm not getting paid for this, but it's kind of amazing being a freelancer because you can be like, well, if I do this one article, I have money for tonight to go out to a really fancy restaurant. Right. You know, so. And if you worked, if you work on Saturday, you might not have worked on Thursday. Exactly. So you don't feel guilty about it. You make up the time. You can balance the time. So setting a schedule, getting some exercise in. Yeah. And then I think the third thing and probably the most important is to remember to have human interaction. (laughs) So like I said, my husband... What an amazing world we live in that you just could not have human interaction. Oh, Oh, no. So my husband, like I said, works really crazy hours and I could... Look at the, I look at the clock sometimes it's 9 PM and I realize that I haven't heard my own voice. Like you have that scratchy morning voice. It's so sad. So I try to make sure that I, you know, plan meetups with friends, go out to dinner. One thing that I'm really loving this year is I'm part of the girls right now organization 
and I am mentoring a high school student who is into writing. And so we meet up once a week and go to Barnes and Noble and do writing prompts together and work on projects and just talk about life. And it's so much fun. And she gives me energy and inspiration for my own career. So I think that's a really important. So if you, you know, find something that is similar, it, it works with your career, but it's not necessarily a job. Um, that's, I feel like this, this volunteer, um, thing has been really, really helpful for me and just like getting out of the house and amazing. Yeah. It's a well-rounded life. It like gives yeah. you yeah. <laughs> all aspects of your life that you want. That's great. That's so great. You work for yourself. So you are not interviewing for a job right now, Yes, but we love to ask these classically annoying interview questions, questions that you've probably been asked a million times in interviews throughout your career that seem not that helpful to the interviewing process or just seem like things that managers need to ask in order to like check a box, right? And we love to talk to our experienced career women about how they would answer them, what they think a good answer is, if these questions are ridiculous. So the first one, which is not ridiculous, but is very common is, what's your biggest weakness? Sour candy. I can't stop eating it. (laughs) I hope you would answer that in an interview. That's so good. What kind of sour candy? Oh, I'm currently eating like those little sour straws. Sour straws. Giving my tongue like a... But yeah, no, I'm, I'm obsessed. My mom sends me sour straws in the mail all the time. Like, yeah. Amazing. I wonder if you said that in an interview, like what, like, right? Because that's your real biggest, biggest weakness, but obviously they're looking for something like you're too organized or whatever. Um, but also what are they looking for? I don't know. What are you looking for? It's like, I take on too much. I'm just so dedicated. I don't have a life. It's just, that's a great answer. It's such a good answer. I'm also addicted to sour candy right now. My tongue kind of hurts today. Yeah. This is meant just from the sour candy. This was, this was meant to be. Where do you see yourself in five years from now? This one you can answer honestly. So I really hope that I've written another novel or two. And I hope that Jennifer Lawrence is playing one of my characters on the big screen. That's so good. That's such a good goal. I love it. I love it. In the book club I'm in, that's an exercise we'll sometimes do is like who should like casting the books, which is so fun. That's my favorite question to ask at book parties. So fun. It's so great. Um, And Jennifer Lawrence, a great pick. She's great. What's she going to be doing in five years? She'll probably be dying to be. She's going to be in my. In the young ones. Yes. Come back here in five years and tell us, tell us what, what happened with the casting of your movie. We also love to ask these interview questions. So it's very trendy right now to get kind of like a curveball question on interview, especially for a tech company. They're asking these like strategic thinking questions. And, and this is from a company called Single Platform um, that helps small businesses with their marketing tools. And the question is, if there was a movie produced about your life, which is just, we're already, we've already been talking about casting, <laughs> but your life, not your book. If there was a movie produced about your life, who would play you and why? That's so funny because when I was working at 17, I would have celebrities come into the office all the time and do interviews with them. And that was always a question that I asked them, but nobody has ever asked me that. So that's exciting um, to think about. 
So who would play me? I have no idea. Can I like dream big and be like anyone Reese Witherspoon? Because I would want to get her Southern accent. I want my Southern accent back. And I feel like if I could like hang out with her, cause I'm allowed to go to my own movie set, right? That's the whole thing. You are going to the set. You're the producer, okay. the consulting producer on this film. So then I would just like hang out with her and have her talk to me and then soak up the Southern accent. You guys have so much in common. So I would much. love it. Be best friends. I would watch that movie. I think it's a great, that's great casting. We have reached our lightning round. So I am just going to ask you these quick questions and answer with kind of like the first thing that comes to your mind or also the correct answer that you, <laughs> the, the answer you believe in the most. Okay. Best job you've ever had. 17. Oh, that's great. That's where we work together. I love hearing that. It was just so fun. It was like living my dream job, but also like living the pages of the magazine that I loved so much as a teenager. So fun. Worst job you've ever had? The PR agency, because it wasn't a good fit for me. What's the best career advice you've ever received? Um, Move to New York, even though you don't have a job yet. And that was... Because you needed to have a New York address or because it would be easier to find a job if you were here? I think both. All, all the editors, when I was an intern, um, told me to do that because an editor is probably not going to call somebody in from Louisiana because they're going to feel guilty about making you pay for a plane ticket. What is your most memorable office moment? I have so many like crazy funny ones from 17, particularly because... We used to bring in celebrities all the time to the office and interview them. But I think my favorite one or the one that sticks out the most is you were with me. Okay. <laughs> I can't wait to hear what this is. When we interviewed Robert Pattinson. One of my favorite, one of my most memorable office moments as well, for sure. I don't know why I laugh every single time I think about it. Because we were trying to get him to say something, like a video. It was like, countdown to 17's, like, Twilight. <laughs> what was it? Yeah, like, we, were, we had some, like, Twilight package. Twilight we package. Him to- and so we, were, we asked him, I was recording the video, and I was like, all you have to say is, this is Robert Pattinson, countdown to the Twilight countdown. Right. 17 or something like that. But literally, every single time he did it, He would say something different, and it was like a blooper. It turned into a blooper reel, and we all got the giggles, and he blushed, and it was hilarious. He is like a person no one has heard of at this time. Like this is. I thought he was was pretty. Was it the second Twilight? I think it was the second. Okay, so maybe it was second. I think we were excited because we worked in the team world and like we knew and I think no one knew who he was. And I remember also he told us he only owned one pair of pants. Does that sound good? Gosh, you have a really good memory. (laughs) And I remember it was election day. That I don't know why I remember. Oh yeah, because we were off of work and so we actually it wasn't at the office. It was we had to go to his office. Oh wait, we went to like a different office. And he was so kind. So nice. So kind. And I just remember the reason I think it was early in his career was like I feel like he almost it was like the second interview he had ever done. Like he just did not seem like he had done a lot of interviews. I mean he's he became the biggest international superstar. Where can our listeners find you? Where can they find you on social media? Where do you like to be followed? On Twitter and Instagram, I'm uh, my username is Julie Pens, Julie and then P E N S. Okay. 
And then you can also visit my website, juliepinnell.com. Two N's, two L's. Two N's, two L's, yeah. Okay, great. And one big plug for your book? Yes, The Young Wives Club. It comes out February 14th. It'll be at your local bookstore. Look for the delicious looking crumbled cake on the cover. It's a beautiful cover. It's it a beautiful they cover. Did a great job with it. Julie, thank you so much for being on the show. I had such a great time. You had such incredible career advice for our listeners, for me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Coffee Break with New York Wiki. Thank you to our amazing team. Our producers, Kylie Harris, Chelsea Orcutt, and Chrisanne Grise. Our editors, Aaron Mathewson and Chelsea Orcutt. Rachel Bowie manages marketing. Alex Fetter wrote the theme. Additional recording and editing has been done at Stoosh Studios with the help of Steve Francis. For more information about Coffee Break with New York Wiki, go to nywici.org slash podcast. I'm your host, Julie Hockheiser-Ilkovich. Thank you for listening.